Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Tony Cotty, and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. You are listening to the We Are West End podcast with me, Will Pugh, and Tom Edwards. No James Jones this week, bless him. He's written in with a sick note from his wife telling us that he feels like death warmed up the poor guy. So uh, no Jonesy this week. It's a two-man show like it was a couple of weeks ago uh, when I was off for a week in the hospital. But Tom, absolutely brilliant to have you with us tonight. West Ham United raced into a three-goal lead against a team from the Midlands and then made it nervy as they clawed two back. And if this intro sounds a little bit similar to last week, that's because the exact same thing happened against Leicester as it did against Wolves. What are the chances, Tom? I I just can't, you, you couldn't make it. I know people say that they are classic West Ham and that phrase, it always annoys me in itself anyway, but it, it's, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Nine goals scored from three games against Arsenal, Wolves and Leicester. Absolute phenomenal achievement. Uh, but <laughs> to concede eight and uh, seven, sorry, and uh, I'd, I'd obviously win two of the games, but only by the odd goal in nervy, nervy fashion. It it was strange to see it happen exactly the same way again, because it didn't look like it was going to be one of those games for the first 20 minutes or so, did it? Yeah, we looked like we flew for the first 65 minutes. That's about as good as it's got all season. It was, it really was something to watch. It was a total pleasure, but we all knew something was going to happen. Something weird was going to happen. We were going to make a mistake and get him back in it. But I don't know what's more weird. The fact that West Ham keep doing it or the fact that we've scored three goals in the first half of our last three games or whatever it is. I know, sorry, three goals in the first 60 minutes of the last three Premier League games. That, that rarely happens. So, we always want to make it difficult for ourselves and just thank God this time we held on. We gave ourselves, what, four and a half minutes this week to hold on, which uh, is about right for West Ham. So thank God we did it, though, because it what a win that was. What a weekend it gave us. And um, you just it just keeps going, doesn't it? I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, exactly that, mate. I think that's it feels funny, doesn't it, that we've said that. 
we've been saying that every week for the last however many weeks. What a win that is. What a win that is. It did feel big against Wolves, but that was the biggest one, wasn't it? Against the team who's above mm. you in the league in third place. I know they obviously it's come out since they were having their troubles during the week and, and Madison arguably <laughs> their best player missing out. Iosi Perez has, has done okay as well. He's, he might not have started him and Chowdhury, of course, but certainly Madison was a big loss for them not having Soyan Chu as well. But you mentioned there, mate, that um, you thought the first 65 minutes was good. Obviously, Jesse Lingard's two goals on 29 and 44 minutes for Jared Bowen got the second half off to a fabulous start with his strike after 48. Kelechi Iheanacho uh, making sure it was a nervy finish for West Ham with his goals on 70 and then the second one in the 91st. Did you, you mentioned there that the first 65 was as good as you've seen all season I'd have to I'd have to disagree really I, I thought it looked like a proper cagey game of two teams for the first well, until Lingard scored the first basically two teams that were more than happy to take a point thank you very much seemed like both had set up fairly defensively quite a cagey game and all of a sudden fortunately Lingard's goal broke the like broke the game wide open if you like and it was one of those moments that went in our favour that it just seemed to be all of those this season moments like that seem to be mm. falling our way. Things that are on a knife edge could have gone either way. And and West Ham got that, that stroke of luck again. You're probably right. It's probably a bit clouded until the goal was, you're right. It was scrappy. If anything, they had more of the game. And I think it, it took a spell. I don't know if anyone's going to remember it, but about five minutes of Mark Noble, just forward passes, first touches in tight spaces to get us going. And after that happened, we started to get on the ball and we looked like we had a bit of confidence and we started to get in and Masawaku put that cross in down the left-hand side when we turned down. Bowen hit the, like, knee rolled into the post, slid into the post, sorry. And that sort of set us going. And I think we we then found a bit of belief and realised, hey, we can get at this lot. And then after that, there was about, what was it, 30, 40 minutes of unbelievable attacking football in terms of on the counter-attack and inviting them on. And you're right, that goal changed it. Because if they were to get that, then they'd sit back and they would have done to us what we did to them. So that was vital. And what a finish, what a finish that was for the first goal. Everything he touches turns to gold. I know it looks like a bit scrappy and he's hit the floor and it might not be meant, but he's meant every bit of that. He does know exactly what he's doing. He's using the player as a foil to bend it round. And it was just superb, difficult technique. And that, that changed the game. But I think when I meant 65 minutes in terms of the injuries we had and, and the way Noble stepped up yet again and, things like that. It was just more surprising than any other performance I've seen this season, considering the magnitude. And I think for me, that's probably the biggest win we've had in terms of pushing for Europe or actually pushing for something as opposed to a relegation scrap that I've seen in my life. Cause that meant a lot to bring them back and to make it a, a four horse race now between, sorry, four teams for two spots of the champions league effectively by dragging them back in was a real, real, Big, big result. And hopefully we'll see them maybe tail off in it. And it really could blow things wide, wide open. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely, mate. I, I couldn't agree more. That's such a huge... I said to my dad, it may be my slightly more pessimistic <laughs> slant, which I tend to put on uh, all things West Ham, is that I thought, oh, that's one foot in the Europa. Because let's be honest, and this isn't me being pessimistic, yeah. let's be realistic. The league is still very tight, isn't it? With some outstanding football teams breathing down our necks. I think it's six points between us and eighth place or seventh place. Um, and mm -hmm. what I think, you know, I, I just from a, a realistic point of view on that, really, I think you've got to look at it because what we're in fourth, 55 points. 
and no, sorry, Tottenham it is who we're six points ahead of, who are seventh. And then it's Everton, obviously drawing with Brighton in their last game, although they've played a game less than us on 48 points. So even if you assume that Everton win that game uh, and move themselves up to 51, they'll leapfrog Tottenham. So Tottenham will be eighth and and be six points behind us. The seven games left to play. Yeah. That is still, it is still tight, isn't it? With some good football teams beneath us there. But I did feel that was one foot in the Europa League at least because you know fourth place is still that that golden chalice that we're all striving yeah. towards that we'd all absolutely love to see of course but with the teams we've got coming up you'd think that or you'd hope certainly or expect even that that we'd be able to fend off off those teams at least six points for the rest of the season because it's unlikely we've seen what Tottenham played like again at Manchester United with that collapse it's unlikely that they're going to go on a surge and and make up um, like win the rest of their games the rest of the season, for example. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And, and you're right. You're right. We should all be grateful and looking forward at the top six. Top six is the realistic aim now. And that's what we've got to make sure and ensure happens. Liverpool and Chelsea behind us. Chelsea are playing the best football we have all season at this current moment. Liverpool starting to get those ratty results, which show that they're really trying to hound, hound some people down. No? No, I agree. That's I'm just remembering that Aston Villa them throwing it away right at the end against Liverpool on the weekend. It's yeah. just rubbish. Yeah. Jacob Ramsey, I think it was, shut the man down, for God's sake. Everyone was Mate, absolutely it, spaffing about what a great it. goal, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was poor defensively. And I think that's what happened this weekend was basically sort of tore the... It made the... It turned the table a bit on its head in the terms of the top six team like they've actually pulled away. I know six points is still nothing, but it sort of gave a buffer and it sort of a clear line now where for the last four, five weeks, it's looked like anyone from ninth or eighth is in the hunt. And then suddenly this weekend, West Ham, Chelsea, Liverpool all win and then Everton drop points and Spurs. And it started to look like it's now between us top six. And we'll do a re- it'll be a really tough job to hold off those two teams because the way they're playing and, and the results they're starting to grind out. And I know Chelsea have a relatively easy run by the last three. I think they've got a tough stint so we could see them start piling on the points but just got to enjoy it and I, and like you say top six is really what we should be happy with but it's hard not to get ahead of ourselves and think when you look at the table that maybe just maybe this is the year that we upset the elite and do something quite special absolutely man. Well, look, to be honest the this was the first week where I thought there's Champions League wise there's actually a chance this is like a chance before now not not through pessimism just through a bit of what I would call was calling realism at the time I just thought it's just not likely you mentioned Chelsea they're in sparkling form and I still think they'll be they'll be our biggest uh, challenger for that spot I think Liverpool still look too fallible but we've got Newcastle away Chelsea at home Burnley away Everton at home Brighton away West Brom away Southampton at home I mean, out of those games, mate, what we've done this season, unlike in seasons past, we've beaten the teams that we expect or we are expected to beat on paper. All those old football cliches about weaker teams and you go into games thinking we should win those. Our home record's fantastic. And, you know, uh, there's points to be had there, isn't there? If you could pick a final seven games of the season for whether we were trying to stay up or get them top 10 or fourth as it is now you'd you'd pick a lot of those teams wouldn't you Burnley Brighton Southampton West Brom Newcastle you'd you'd pick mm-hmm. those wouldn't you 
Absolutely. And I think if if we were if Chelsea were in our position right now with a fixture list, the whole media would basically be talking about them as if they've got top four. I know that we've got the easiest run. And then on top of that, we've got a, a biggest opportunity in the club's history in about two weeks' time against Chelsea to beat them and create a made potentially a what? Four-point buffer with five or so will be five games to go, four-point buffer between us and Chelsea. It is a huge opportunity if we beat Newcastle and then play them at home with the second best home record in the league. Anyone else in our position, people would be really basically talking about them as if they could sew one up very shortly. So we've got to look at it and we've got to genuinely believe in it and believe that it could be us. And I think it will be difficult. I think there'll be different challenges in the next few games, like the Burnleys and the Newcastles and the Brightons and the West Broms. They will sit deep and we don't have Rice and we don't have his energy and Antonio can't stretch the defences like he's been doing all season in those games. So I think it'll be a different challenge. One I'm actually quite nervous for, because I think now we've got respect put on our name from the rest of the league and people will treat us like a big team coming there and, and they'll take a point against us. So last few games, Wolves and Leicester and respect them have, have both had to open up and ended up going for it because the way we started games. So it's been different types of fixtures, but I just think this next run in it, it, it's in our hands and for it to be in our hands with what is it? Seven left is, is quite something and, just got to believe in it. We just got to believe it might well happen. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Well, look, uh, I think me and you, we have a plenty of time, chance to have a chat, just the two of us all night, mate, with no James Jones. Unfortunately, send our best to Jones. Mm-hmm. He is at home, tucked up in bed with a Lemsip, I hope, at the moment. Uh, I think, I mean, we haven't had confirmation, Tom. We a global pandemic going on. We didn't actually ask James if it's COVID, did we? He just it's, it's, a, it's on everyone's lips, mate. It's the question on everyone's lips. <laughs> Perhaps we should text him. I'll tell you what, in the break between part one and part two, we'll, we'll text him and uh, just double check that he hasn't actually got COVID. But well, our thoughts are with Jonesy anyway. He'll be listening, no doubt, uh, with the rest of you on Wednesday morning when the podcast goes live. So uh, just me and Tom tonight. So we better keep some structure to the podcast, Tom, even though we haven't got Jonesy here. So we'll do, as we always do, with a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at we are underscore West Ham had a very nice message from uh, Steve Brooker in the week on Twitter. Um, just apologising to me for his comments last week. No need for that at all, Steve. We're more than happy to take uh, a criticism or a bit of banter here on the We Are West Ham show. And James was absolutely loving your praise. So no problem about that mm. at all. Uh, like I say, you can get in touch, follow uh, us for our content, little videos, polls that we put out. Uh, just keep up to date with everything that's going on with the podcast at we are underscore West Ham on Twitter. You can follow us and subscribe to our channel on YouTube. You can watch all of these shows recorded live. Uh, and of course, all the individual segments go up separately as well. If you just fancy recapping on one of those or looking back to some of the interviews we've had in the past, we are on Instagram as well. If you want to get in touch on there, as a few of you do, and you can email us with whatever you fancy feedback, just to say hello. Let us know what you're up to at uh, wearewestampod at gmail.com if you fancy it. And you can uh, buy me and the lads a beer and support the podcast at buymeacoffee.com slash wearewestamp. Massive thank you to Isaac, Rob, Lisa, Tony, and Will. And I can assure you that's not me uh, who have supported the pod in the last few days over there at buymeacoffee.com slash we are west ham particularly isaac tom i believe he's a acquaintance of yours dug you out in the message and said yeah. i don't know why i'm doing this because tom owes me about 25 pints over the years so will and james will have to fight between this one 
Yeah, Sat Mate is one of my best mates. Yeah, he's one of the guys I go uh, go West Ham with. And um, soon enough, we were talking the other day after the game, I was going to try and see him. But soon enough, he'll be uh, getting those pints back. Don't you worry about that, Isaac. Good stuff. Well, thanks very much to Isaac for that. Uh, what's coming up on the show, Tom? We know what we've got coming up on the show tonight. Uh, it's Jack Rosser from the Evening Standard, who was at the game on the weekend, that Leicester game at the London Stadium. Uh, absolutely brilliant game. We'll ask Jack for some in-stadium insights. Spoke to Tom Clark from Football.London last week. So always good to chat to the journalists who are in the stadium, seeing it from that uh, angle that very few of us have been able to this season. So Jack will be on in part two. The Betway charity bets are in part three. What a result, Tom. James Jones with the biggest win of the season we'll go into more detail in that section but absolutely fantastic news delighted for james and for the dylan tom Beedies foundation my biggest win uh, was the biggest win earlier in the season was 1358 pounds jonesy has smashed that out the water so stay tuned for more details on that in part three and me and tom and james uh, will make our selections ahead of the newcastle game we'll have the opposition view uh, for ahead of that Newcastle game. What a game that is as well. Uh, Newcastle against West Ham at St. James's Park on Saturday lunchtime. So we'll have a opposition view for you there. No name that game this week. Of course, we can't play without James. Unconfirmed reports suggesting that the fact he's bottom of the league table with 36 points behind Tom, who's first with 43 and me in 37 like I say, unconfirmed reports that that's why he didn't want to come on the show tonight because he didn't want to be on the end of an absolute hiding again when he would have been head-to-head -head against league leader Tom Edwards. The West Ham women, there's been no game since the 5-0 win at Reading. The FA Cup draw has taken place. Chichester City at home, which is Sunday before an absolutely huge game against Aston Villa in the WSL on Tuesday night. We've got some Jilly Flaherty news as well before we'll wrap up with a brief fantasy Premier League update. Me and Tom will say goodbye for another week and no doubt we'll get excited for that European tour potential and the chance of a win at St. James's Park. So, Tom, just what was your, your standout from the end of that Leicester game? Because there was less frustration from my perspective there it was annoying and the defensive fragility was a little bit yeah i was a bit anxious towards the end especially when fafana put that header wide right at the death when it was three two um were you frustrated with the goals that leicester scored or are you willing to take those on the chin if we're going to go newcastle in the 90s and just happy to score more goals than the other teams can Thing is, I was just happy to get through it because you knew they were going to get in one way or another. I was I was very frustrated at the time of Masawaku's mistake for that goal. Yep. Not saying he didn't have a brilliant game, he did, but that was that was a total gift to give to get him back in the game. And that's the type of stuff that I reckon Moyes is seething. And you can see it full time. That's that's probably the moment which changed the game and made it so difficult. So I think that was a frustration. But to get through it and to battle hard it and to show that level of grit yet again to get the job done in a, a matter of days after the Wolves won in the same fashion is frustration, but there's also positives that we're still getting over the line. And a special mention for Mark Noble. I think he's come in in the last two weeks and he's stood up yet again for the club when they desperately, desperately need him um, down to our bare bones. And it was just some performance from him. And I thought he got us going in that match. And uh, 
was everywhere and and just generally uh, now we're worried about what we'll do without him if he's got this injury and that's hats off to him and credit to him because I didn't think we'd get a point with him starting really I didn't think we looked but good no, I didn't think no one goals did and, and yet again he's proved it yeah but you can't uh, no I've seen a little bit of this on Twitter where fans having a go at fans who doubted Mark Noble yeah and but there's yeah. you can't have a go at people for thinking that because the stats spoke for themselves didn't you it was one of your favorites Tom was it I mm. think it was we hadn't scored yeah. with him on the pitch until the game he come in and covered for yeah when a he started getting yeah, that was it. When he started a game, we hadn't actually scored a goal in the Premier League in the games he started unless he was actually yeah. subbed off and then we'd scored. So, yeah. So you're look, right. enough, and, and enough, it, Yeah, exactly, mate. Enough, enough of that, though. Like the, I'm with everyone else. I think absolutely brilliant that people are calling for him to step up and he has improved his performances on earlier in the season. And absolutely, as, as always, it's absolutely brilliant to see him doing all of that. But uh, let t- look, Tom, what we'll do, we'll speak to Jack, who was in the ground on the weekend. He's been wanting to come on for a couple of weeks. So it's brilliant to have him on the show once again. We'll talk to him in part two. And if we've got time, me and you will uh, carry on having a chat and breaking down, as you mentioned, one of, if not the biggest win of the season so far. So stay with us. Jack Rosser from the Evening Standard next. So you are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh and Tom Edwards. No James Jones this week. He's written in with a sick note from his wife. So we uh, we have decided to excuse him. But I'm delighted to say that joining us for part two with some more reaction to that fantastic win against Leicester is friend of the show, Jack Rosser from the Evening Standard. Jack, it's great to have you back with us again, mate. I'm very sorry to learn that I'm interrupting you cooking a gourmet meal for your other half. But you're at the game on the weekend, a privilege that not many of us have had this season but you've been lucky enough to see a lot of West Ham games uh what was what was it like on 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 the weekend against Leicester first of all I mean it was it was all plain sailing up to about 60 65 minutes wasn't it and then <laughs> everyone the nerves start setting in you know all of us are in the press box that have got everything written because you're cruising at three nil up and then that gets torn to pieces and then you can hear Karen Brady which I don't know if you can hear on tv but getting a bit nervous and, and starting to scream a little bit at every kick God, what, and every Words header. like what words what, what what were you hearing from Brady and Jack? These are the insights why we get you on that you wouldn't be able to hear that on just, the TV. Just shrieks, mate. I mean I think <laughs> I think quite a fair few others would be doing exactly the same in that situation if they were in the ground. So I think she's probably for the first time in a while representing quite a few West Ham fans with that sort of sort of reaction. <laughs> it was a bit nervy towards the end. What um what 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 did you make of the whole thing then, Jax? I know you didn't quite you weren't able to get to the Wolves game at, at Molyneux the week before, but you know it's nine goals for West Ham in three games against Arsenal, Leicester, and Wolves is fantastic. Conceding seven, not quite as good, but ultimately uh, seven points out of those games is phenomenal stuff. Uh, what what did you sort of make of the game and how it went? Do you think um, did it look as me and Tom were saying just now that the goals are a little bit frustrating? I think we're going to cut Masuaku some slack because not only has he been out injured for a long time, so his fitness might not be there. Mark Albrighton came on, so you know he's having to do 90 minutes, which he hasn't done many of those for a long time. Um, What what did you make of it in the ground? Did you feel West Ham were comfortable and deserved the win as from a lot of neutral standpoint? They they definitely deserved the win, as I think 
they have done in, well, you, you could say they deserve the win in all three, including the Arsenal game, which just completely fell away from them. But I think the way Leicester played in the first half, there was a, it was a, a bit, you know, end to end. No one was really controlling it. And then West Ham just sort of took the initiative, worked out where the, the space was for them on the break. The pace of Jared Bowen really came off. I was sort of turning around to a couple of colleagues and, and having a pop at Bowen for being erratic and, and maybe not able to finish as <laughs> as comfortably. And then he then he goes and sets one up and, and then tucks one away. So that's a really big bonus, you know, obviously without Antonio there, you're going to need someone else to step up alongside Lingard to to help out going forward. And, and Bowen's done that and it's testament to him really. He's struggled for goals and then he's got three and three over the last three. So I think that sort of sums up the confidence going forward. Um, Obviously, what's what's happening at the back is a concern. Angelo Obon is. Are a big you concerned, risk. Jack? That's what I was going to say. Did like the defensive fragility? It did. It doesn't feel very sustainable to me. And and again, I'm not trying to rain on everyone's parade here or poo-poo things because I'm delighted and I genuinely do. It's the first time to Thomas. The first time I feel like we've got a chance of the Champions League. But defending like that, seven goals in three games doesn't. You know, you, you're not always going to score three, are you? So. Yeah. How do you look at yeah. it? Because obviously we're we're only looking like that when we're we only look fragile when we're against teams who are going gung ho. So there's two ways of looking at it, I suppose. You, it, the one thing that's alarming is that you've gone from looking so secure all season. You know, you know you, a one goal lead, you would have almost put your house on this West Ham team to defend that. A few, well, a couple of months ago, wouldn't you? The, the way they've been playing, Ogbon mm-hmm. has been a massive miss. Mm-hmm. Dawson, Dawson has been. A good, um, a good addition, and and has proved a fantastic signing. But without Ogbonna next to him, he's starting to look a little bit, a little bit exposed. I think Diop as well has his merits, and he and he's done well. But he's just not as assured and composed as, as Ogbonna is he. So he's a big miss. Creswell, of course, will be a big miss over the next few uh, weeks if that, if that's how long he's out for. So there's just a bit of imbalance, and it and it's coping with that. They've done it so far, losing, losing Declan as well. Again, it's just all sort of unfortunate timing with with taking that composure away. So it is a concern, but like you say, when and I think the manager said it afterwards as well. You know, when you're going and, and scoring quite as freely as they are, it, it lessens that just a touch, doesn't it? Mm. Jack, one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, that we are so freely scoring is because of Jesse Lingard. And up until this week, I think everyone was presuming he'd have this season and we'd sign him permanently. But it's come out that Madrid, PSG, everyone's watching him suddenly and Arsenal are going to get him. What do you actually think will happen with that that whole transfer deal in the summer and that saga? Do you think it will be as easy as West Ham getting done or, or do you think it's going to be a real complicated one and it will go long into the summer? I, I'm not sure how long it will drag on for, but whoever, if anyone can get it over the line, then it, it is going to be... A difficult negotiation. Man United aren't aren't the easiest to deal with. Um, they certainly weren't when when they were looking to get the the loan deal over the line in January. That took a lot of mm. a lot of negotiations to and fro. There certainly are other clubs that that are, are looking at at Lingard after what he's done at West Ham. I think you'd be daft to expect that there wouldn't be. And of course, Man United will have will have stuck his valuation up as well. There is a feeling there. Solskjaer's said it on the record, and and you know people behind the scenes have said it as well that Man United's intention was always for him to go out and get some games and see what happens and then he'll go back. Um, whether that's his intention, I think it's it's starting to come through that that 
if Lingard wants to leave and, and wants that assured game time, which he's just not going to get at Man United, then he's the one that's going to have to start pushing it. He's had no indication from United on what they want to do, whether they want to loan him again, whether they want to sell him, whether they want to give him a new contract. He's out of contract at the end of next season. So they've got that that dilemma that's always there as to whether you cash in or, or keep hold of a player that's so confident and playing so well. Um, so it's going to be a difficult one. West Ham have definitely got a shout. Whoever whoever gets linked with them, West Ham have, are well in with a shout. They've got a fantastic case that's been built since he joined and the relationships he's got at the club are, are key to that as well. So they're, they're definitely in with a shout when it comes to the summer and they definitely want to do it. The money's there as well if they need to do it as long as United aren't, aren't too silly with their valuation. Yeah, well, he was uh, he was back up in, in Manchester last night, Jack. At, he was at the Ivy with Marcus Rashford, so perhaps he'll bring him with him. Perhaps we could do a deal <laughs> for uh, for both of them. But look, I, I, I think with 12 months left, even though he's been absolutely phenomenal, realistically, Jack, I mean, correct me if you think I'm wrong, I think that's a that's a 25 million-ish fee there. All right, if, if, if all those other teams are supposedly linked with him actually are serious about it maybe it drives it up to nearer the 30 million mark but you're not going to pay that much more money for for a man with 12 months left on his contract i wouldn't have thought but from his point no, of you, view sorry go on you can't you can't let united get too silly can you that's the thing. No. 25 million is maybe there or thereabouts yeah um obviously where you finish changes how much well that's what i was just going to say well. that's what i i think He's enjoyed himself so much that if we get European football in any guise, even just the Europa League, I appreciate it's not the, you know the glitz and glamour of, of Champions League and maybe his performances have, have warranted a Champions League team. But any other Champions League team, he's not guaranteed the game time, I don't think, certainly in England and maybe abroad. But is he going to want to do that? I just think for a man who's who's been quite unhappy and so unhappy for so long, completely out of the spotlight. He's obviously loving it, being the main man again, being talked about, just playing good football. I think that all people are so quick in the modern day because that's what all the stories are always about, transfer fees and wages, et cetera, et cetera. He's, he's earning a few quid anyway. I think everyone's undervaluing how important it must be to him to just feel good at the moment because it's been such a, a long way off. And if there's a chance... He knows with West Ham, it's a risk-free scenario, isn't it? He knows that he's been happy here for these few months. If they offer him a deal, especially if Declan stays as well, that we can tick all the boxes, can't we? And I think 20 grand here or there, I, I, maybe I'm just looking at it through claret and blue-tinted spectacles, but the, do you think that's overly optimistic that if, if West Ham can do a deal with United, it, it, he's, he already, I feel like he already wants to be here. There's definitely, you know, that's a big part of it. Um, I don't know. You know, Paris might seem quite attractive compared to Stratford. You never know what, what people might think. But I think, you know, judging by what's, what's been going on... For <laughs> I him, think we could be quite safe on I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think. I think he'd want to stay in the Premier League. And like you said, the fact he's so happy and he gets on with, with Mark Noble and, and Declan Rice so well. And if if the club can lay out a couple of, of other transfer plans to him and they seem attractive, then it might all play in quite nicely.
Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Well, look, Jack, we really appreciate you taking your time out of your evening. Hope to get you on again towards the end of the season. You'll be there in person for the majority of the running. Uh, so thanks very much for giving us your time tonight. Hope to have you on, like I say, before the end of the season. And uh, we'll hopefully be chatting to you about your plans for West Ham's Champions League campaign next season. Jack Rosser there <laughs> from the Evening Standard. And stay with us because it's the Betway Charity Bets next. Jack Rosser there from the Evening Standard. Jack in the London Stadium at the weekend. Witness it in it in person. And uh, quite the revelation there. Karen Brady screeching the team on towards the end, just as Jack said, just like the rest of us were at home. I was definitely making a few weird sounds as Leicester pushed for that equaliser towards the end, Tom. Tom, just quickly, uh, we'll, we'll do the Betway charity bets in a minute. Some absolutely fantastic news on that front. But I just want to wrap up some of the Leicester stuff with you jack's mentioned it there that about the the fragility and i think he's right i do you know it might be a bit uncharacteristic for me but i do want to kind of cut the team and like i mentioned about masuaku there i was at the time thinking oh what are you doing but then i thought well he's, this is the second 90 minutes he's played in the premier league for months and it was only when they threw the fresh legs of all brighton on that he started looking a bit leggy so you know cut him a bit of slack i think there and even the team do you are you concerned by the the defending or do you think that because the only time we've conceded those seven goals we've been 3-0 up in each one of those games and when teams are 3-0 up they throw caution to the wind they play with reckless abandon and throw everything at it because they've got nothing to lose and defending against teams in those circumstances is much tougher before we'd scored against Leicester they didn't trouble us really they looked more than comfortable you said that a bit more of the ball which they did but mm-hmm. they it wasn't anything like worrying chances that we we had to defend was there no I, I'm I'm with you I think it's I don't think there is a problem yet at least yeah I think it's a concentration thing I think when you look at it we've been like you say solid throughout when we've been at it in those 60 minutes killing it and then I think that first goal they've got a leg up both times is a is a lack of concentration and then after that it's just must be pretty nerve-wracking we're up fighting for four <laughs> we realize what's happening and the team drops back 10 yards and you see Moyes Nolan everyone it's not a back four problem it's not individual errors it's team mentality and it's the lot of them who are at fault for it and I think that's the overriding thing. And it's just got to hope that these games are getting them out early and the later we get, maybe that we've gone through the period where they doubt themselves in games. And I think Suchek came out today and said that we've just got to be brave and we've got to stop being safe and we've got to kill games off. And, and maybe the... 3-0 is there. That's exactly. pretty killed, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think he was basically saying for 90 minutes, we've got to be out. And I think ultimately it's just a, a concentration thing. And then suddenly when the first goes in, memories of Arsenal and they drop back. So with Obonna back, with a few more changes in, hopefully now no one else wants to go for a heart attack. So maybe that they will wake up this week and, and we won't have that scenario. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Maybe then we'd feel like that if we were only one new up, wouldn't we, towards yeah. the end? So I think I'd rather see a score three. The one thing I will yeah. mention, mate, and yeah, I, I, I proper had it, not just with VAR, because everyone slams VAR as if that's the problem with all these things. I think the majority of the problems, if you ask me, are the rules themselves and the referee's Mm. interpretation of these things. VAR is just the vehicle through which they're viewed, isn't it? That's just a lens and a a screen. That's what VAR is. Um, But the 
Lingard goal where Bowen gets down the right and slots it across for him. I didn't even cheer. And we've just gone 2-0 up yeah, against, uh, against the third-place team in a race for the Champions League. And I sat on the sofa and I almost sniggered at my dad, who my dad sort of went, hey. And he, even his yeah. was like, it was measured. And I just said, oh, no, that was offside, wasn't it? And he's like, oh, yeah, I cool. did look it, didn't it? And it's like, oh, hang on. And you're waiting. And then the VAR bit comes. And obviously I was delighted when it wasn't offside. But it's like, oh, blimey, man. Like, is this what it's come to? Like, we've just mm. scored and gone 2-0 up against Leicester City with a third. It looks like we might make the Champions League and, I, and I'm not losing my mind cheering at that. It was a bit a bit of a yeah, strange a one. Yeah, but I do think, you know, I mean, I don't know about you. I've not... Mm. Other, West Ham aside, football as a whole, I've not enjoyed watching the Premier League less ever in my life, I don't think, than this season. Man United, Tottenham. I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent here, mate, but Man United, Tottenham, that uh, goal getting disallowed for that thing with Hyung Min Son when he's trying to foul McTominay, uh, just the whole thing. But um, yeah, I do just just think it's odd. West Ham, back to West Ham again. It's just, it just makes me laugh a bit. That it's, <laughs> uh, it's a bit odd and funny how we only look defensively fragile when we're actually trying to defend, yeah, when we're cool. actually, yeah, when we're going for teams. We, uh, <laughs> we look pretty good. Just one thing I think we do have to mention on that um, Leicester thing there, Tom. Uh, Lucas Fabianski. Yep. outstanding I mean what a save that was the one where he stretched I think it was mm-hmm. Ricardo Pereira who was through on goal full Super. stretch and I don't know I'm sure you think you agree he's definitely going under the radar this season and I think I haven't felt as comfortable with the man between the sticks since peak Adrian to be honest mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree I think um, I think he's even way better than that I think he, he had a lot in form to me I was getting a bit worried around back in the last year and midway through it when he had the injuries and stuff, I didn't think he was quite at it. This season, he's gone under the radar throughout. He's been brilliant. He's made key stops at very pivotal times. I remember Aston Villa game at home. He made a big, big save in that game, a few against Leeds. He's been there when we've needed him and that one was superb keeping. I did have a worry about him for a couple of months and now I'm well over that and uh, the club are talking about Sam Johnson or I've seen a few rumours of that and I think our money's better spent elsewhere. I think we can get a few more years out of Fabianski because he he really does look like he's uh, stepping up to the plate for me. Yeah, I mean, obviously we've extended him, haven't we? But yeah, yeah. no reason whatsoever. He, he Yeah, I t- totally agree. Um, so, Tom, I think the, the best way to, to sign this up, and we've covered it quite a bit up until now, um, Jesse Lingard, an absolute class above. Pleasure to watch him play. We've chatted to Jack Rosser there and got his thoughts. He does seem happy at the club. But what I think, I think this could be this summer could, depending what happens. And you know what? If we get Champions League, phenomenal, mind blowing. If we get into the Europa League, also brilliant, mm-hmm. also absolutely spectacular, given where we were last season. And I think if we if we do that, the Europa League or the Champions League, I think from my perspective, this summer could be a pivotal moment. And I think the club could make a huge statement about who we are as a club now, the sort of club we are, by nailing a deal for Jesse Lingard as quickly as possible at the end of the season. And if they if they can sort out Declan Rice as well, give him a new contract this year, and if just say to him, if he does want to go, he might not still. They might be able to sell the project to him if we really look like we're going to push on and, and achieve something. Uh, give him a new contract as well, make him one of the club's highest earners. He obviously deserves that. It, 
guarantees his value have been through all this already. Definitely do that. But what a message, Tom, that will send to not only the fans, but to the all the other football clubs. And even if it is been, there are, of course, those fans who are disgruntled with the board those who want him out, regardless of what they do. I've always been of the of the stance that I just want what was promised to us fans when we moved from Upton Park, which was an action that hurt me and hurt tens of thousands of others. Um, but what a message that would be if the club were to stick that flag in the ground and say, right, yeah, Lingard's our player. Declan Rice is staying for at least another year. We're going to make a proper crack of it next season. Because what I want going forward is that no one anymore be it what the wider media West Ham fans or fans of other teams look at West Ham United with this this high-pitched surprise voice in when they go oh look look where West Ham are in the league aren't they doing well no one was expecting that blah 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 everyone smiles and enjoys all that but I don't want that chat anymore Tom I want everyone to expect West Ham to be in those positions not for it to be like it feels like it's a bit of a summer holiday for lots of people at the moment particularly some fans who just go just you know buckle up and enjoy the ride yeah absolutely but this is what I want season in season out and I don't necessarily mean Champions League but I mean in in the mixer for sixth or seventh place with seven games to go even if we were eighth or ninth now but just to be in with a shout and for, for people not to be surprised and for us to give it a real fist in Europe if we get there next season. What what do you think of that? Oh, absolutely. And you have, to be fair, you always said it's about competing and it's about the results and it's about being a side that we were promised and thousands and millions of West Ham fans were. And I'm on the same stance of you. We shouldn't be grateful for this. We by no means should be grateful. We should enjoy it and be delighted with what Moyes and our team has done. But Moyes was a... They didn't think Moyes was going to do this. Moyes was a lucky charm. They thought Moyes would keep us down the bottom and just manage to salvage us, keep us up and keep us ticking along. He's gone over and above. And now we're in a position where we've got to do the opposite of what we did after 2015-16, where we did it on the cheap. We signed Faguli. We signed Edmilson Fernandez. We signed geezers no one had heard about in the world other than Faguli decent, but on a free transfer at the end of his career. doesn't care. We need to do what you said, sign Jesse Lingard, use this as a pivot season where it's like that is the end of that mediocrity rubbish. We're going to spend money. We've got a 60,000 seat with fans coming back this season, Champions League or Europa League, and we've got to make a fist of it. We've got to get squad in and we've got to make and take advantage of this because not often a team like Leicester or West Ham gets in the top six. So when you get there, you've got to cement yourselves as one of the better teams. You've got to attract the players whilst you're on top. And take advantage of that with Rice, build around him, build around players in Europe and say, look, we've arrived now. Look what Leicester did when they won the Premier League. Fine, they had a bad year the following season, but they went to the quarterfinal of the Champions League. And then after that, they haven't been outside the top six. They bought those players, they built and they developed and they've carried on. And that's Leicester City, a club in the Midlands who'd won nothing before that, a couple of League Cups and nobody cares about them. And now they are rightly so and they deserve to be up in the top six year in, year out. And there's no reason why we can't upset the elite. Tottenham are on the way out. They're going to lose Kane. They're going to lose all this. Chelsea have their own problems. They always do. They'll Tuchel won't be there probably in a year or so. So there's an opportunity. And, and like you say, Lingard will be that. He's The football he's playing is a joke. There's not many in the world playing better than him at the minute. And he loves it. And he loves being around it. And we'll have a core of English talent with Nobles last season, Declan Rice, Lingard, Bowen, Cresswell, Antonio, 
on home values, values that West Ham are brought up on, and we've got a real opportunity to make him the centrepiece of, of something really exciting. And fingers crossed, this isn't the last year that we're up there. Maybe, like we said, not top four every year. That That's outlandish and that won't happen. But but top six and top sevens and being in the Cups. So I'm totally with you. And this has got to be the start of something, not the end. Yeah, you, you've hit the nail on the head there when you brought up what happened after 15, 16 that mm. never in the in the club's history was there. Well, that, I, no, I'm not going to go that hard with it. But never in, okay, in my lifetime, since I started watching football West Ham in the early 90s, never has there been such a, a peak of momentum to be taken mm. advantage of at West Ham United as that, as that season. And it all came just crashing down. And I think someone put it Crazy. quite well recently that it just ended up being, coming down like a sandcastle. And... I didn't think we'd get another uh, a, a period of momentum or a, like like we had then. But this is damn close, isn't it? It's not the same because the yeah. stadium move excitement has gone. Everyone knows what the state. But it's it's in a weird way. It is like the stadium move again because there's been no fans. Fans are excited to get back to the London Stadium, aren't they? No one's been there for a year. The first time. You're right. Yeah, for the first I, time, probably. Other than when we moved there, but people yeah. wanted to check it out and see what it was like. People are desperate to get back in the London Stadium at the moment, and they want to see the it's team not built again. Around a mercenary, either it's not built around one player, a mercenary who would be there for one or two years. We've got longevity there. We've got people we brought through ourselves there, and there's a real chance to to grow it. And and I'm absolutely with you, mate. Definitely, Tom. I think I think and to. The onus is on the club now and the owners to grasp that nettle and grasp the and and go with it and run with this momentum this time. Learn from the mistakes in the past. They've seen the kickback from fans. I don't care what you say. I know there are fans, lots of them, who won't forgive Gold Sullivan and Brady anymore. And okay, I can't argue with people who say that, and I and I don't either. I, I understand that totally. But what I've always wanted is my football club to deliver the promise that their half of the promise they made with the fans the match going fans when the move was made and this is their chance for me i'm not forget about it and and what wipe it away forever but it will go away to absolving a lot of the stuff that's gone before even if it took a little bit of a long time you can still be a bit grumbly about that but if we take advantage of this tom and these are the sort of seasons we're having year in year out that's the football club that that i want and that we were promised so i think this is this is the summer to do it and then i think after this mate if if none of that is done and we don't take advantage and it goes and it reverts back to the half arse in it the the bargain basement signings using covid as an excuse all that sort of stuff then then all of the these people who you know have a go at the naysayers at West Ham and and the the so-called negative fans and all that sort of thing, no one can ever have a go at people like that again. If if this opportunity that we're going to have this summer isn't taken by the club, then no one can criticise anyone who complains about them in future. Do you think? Absolutely, one hundred percent. This this is luck, anyway. The reason, not luck, from the playing staff and Moyes and from within the people who go out there and do it on the pitch, but from above, I personally think this is luck. I think they may have wanted Moyes to do this in the future. Absolutely not now, and they probably didn't think we were ready. And now they've got this opportunity, and they basically got. I know Lingard's not be all and end all, but he's a large, large part of it. And a lot of eyes will be on what happens with that transfer. If that doesn't happen, you just know tongues are wagging and people are really going to struggle to forgive him, forgive them anyway. 
because it just seems like such an obvious one unless he goes to a PSG and Madrid. Yeah, or exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. But no one else. He can't lose into a rival. We can't let United let sit him well, on the Arsenal. Bed. I mean, Arsenal, he's not going to go there. United won't do business with Arsenal. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's just, but you're right. This, this is the year where... Like I didn't think this chance would come. I thought maybe in the next 10 years we might get to a final or a semi and have a day out at Wembley and have a right laugh. But to be up there in Europe and to do a sustainable team for 38 games in a season, I didn't think we'd be able to build one with the way we were going about our business. So this is it and this is a year in, and soon time will tell. And thank God for many reasons we're getting to the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Get rid of Anderson as well. That's Give give Declan Rice <laughs> all of his money, 140 grand a week. Oh, it is. Well, David Moyes sure, doesn't like him. Get give whatever you want. Yeah, you use that money for Declan and Lingard. But I, I feel good about it. After that, uh, the win at Leicester time, I've really started to believe and hope. So happy days. Look, I enjoyed that. Um, some great stuff from, from Jack there. Lovely having a chat, just the two of us. Nothing against Jonesy, of course. Mrs. Dulcet tones uh, over the, uh, the the radio or the podcast as we are now. But uh, look, we said we were going to do the Betway charity bets for some excellent news involving James Jones in his absence. So I know I've already done this link already, but actually stay with us this time because we actually are going to do the Betway charity bets next. So, got a bit involved there, Tom. I enjoyed that, though. A uh, lot to say, and I just think that the positive feeling, I know it's been with you for a lot longer, and I'm normally the one moaning again. yeah, but Tom, what about this? Just the uh, the naysayer of of the group. But no, I'm, I really enjoyed that at the weekend. But I tell you what, Tom, one thing I did enjoy it, my phone packed up Saturday morning, completely died. I pulled a, a proper Tom Edwards. I know you're you switching did, phones. Week in, week out normally. But yeah, wake up on Saturday morning, my iPhone had melted itself. So uh, no WhatsApp. No, it was quite nice actually. Had a bit of a, a WhatsApp-free weekend. No social media, anything like that. Um, one thing I did see, though, I messaged you boys on Twitter just to let you know I was still alive on, on Sunday night. I think it was in the end. I thought, oh, just in case my new phone doesn't turn up today, which fortunately it did. And I was greeted with the absolutely fantastic news, which I'd forgotten about during the game, that James Jones won his Betway charity bet for that Leicester game. James Jones picked Jared Bowen to score any time, both teams to score, and Jesse Lingard to have three or more shots on target at 40 to 1 with the £50 charity bet stake from Betway that me and the lads get each week for our bets for our charity. Based on that, amount of money tom james jones won two thousand pounds for his charity which is the dt38 dylan tom Beedy's foundation absolutely phenomenal stuff two grand and bet have already agreed tom to double all of our winnings at the end of the season so what that really means for jonesy there is that it's 40 uh, sorry 40 grand if only four thousand quid that's gone to the dt38 foundation for him this week I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal stuff. Like I said, my win, Angelo Bonner, uh, earlier in the season was a 28 to one shot. I think I won about 1300 quid um, on that one with my bet. Then uh, James has smashed that out of the water. What a win that is. Oh, mate, unreal. What a way to um, top off an unbelievable win. We've got close. I've got close to two weeks before. And, and just to get a big winner again was superb and i know james has been getting a bit of stick from uh tracy to get some money in so um 
very, very good to see him get that done and credit to him. He, he's been close a few times this season and uh, he was due another one. So very happy for him. And I know be uh, grinning from ear to ear and uh, tucked up in bed. Yeah, absolutely, mate. So just uh, just to quickly clarify, I had I was quite close. Well, I wasn't actually. Yeah. I had both teams to score, Craig Dawson to score any time and Leicester to score last, um, at a 16 to one shot. Uh, Leicester did score last. Craig Dawson didn't really come close. You had both teams to score, West Ham to win and Noble to score. I think you were holding out for a pen then, weren't you? But yeah. no such luck. Uh, so just to clarify, Tom, the total leaderboard as it stands now, James has raced into the lead with that win so he's pulled in 2547 pound 50 for the dt38 dylan tombidi's foundation i've raised 1310 pounds for the bobby moore fund you've got 260 quid you've been so close the last two weeks just missing out on corners each time uh, for Isla's fight. And of course, we had uh, the rib man who come on as our guest earlier in the season and won 1,100 quid with his bet. And that money is split between all three of the charities. Uh, so it's it's looking pretty good, Tom. If you um, if you add just another, what, 330 quid to all of those totals there. And like I say, the important thing to remember is that Betway are doubling these at the end of the season. So you've got two, three and a half, about, we're looking at nearly 10 grand that we've raised yeah. for charity this season, Tom, for uh, through obviously massive thanks to Betway for that. But that's a huge win win for James and it will do so much for the DT38 Foundation, that money as well. Still got seven games to go, seven bets left, have seven opportunities uh, for each of us to win some money for those charities. Uh, you start off then, Tom. Can you let me know what you've gone for this week? Uh, I'll tell you mine and then you can tell me what James is having in his absence. This week, I've gone uh, West Ham to win, Bowen to score and make it four in four. And I've gone under 2.5 goals. I just think that this goal glut has to end at some point. Other teams letting him in and us scoring. I just think at a certain point it has to end. And I think this might be a bit of a scratchy game. Yeah, fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Um, I've gone West Ham to win, Jesse Lingard to score any time and a goal in each half. I like the goal in each half bet. We seem to come yeah. out the blocks pretty quick. It's come in for the last few weeks, of course. Uh, I don't know about Lingard. It seems a little bit pushing the boat out a little bit, expecting him to bag again. But uh, yeah, you'd hope we're going to have enough as well. So um, just uh, let, let us know if you can, Tom, what James has gone for. So Jonesy, he's gone both teams to score. For now's first goal scorer and over 2.5 goals. So I think he thinks it might be uh, following similar veins the last three games, but don't bet against him after last week's bet. I can't knock him. No, absolutely. Yeah, but I'm not so sure about the, the for now's bit, but he did get one the other week, of course. So uh, every chance that he he can pop up again. But that does mean, of course, that either you or James will be a loser with your under over 2.5 goals. Just a reminder, you can back these bets on the Betway website and app. Just go to the next West Ham game. So this week, of course, it's West Ham v Newcastle. Uh, go there under pre-built bets for that game. You'll be able to scroll down and find the We Are West Ham bets. It'll have my name, Tom's name and James's name next to it. And of course, if you manage to back Jonesy's last week, you'd be in the money at 42-1. So uh, yeah, just another thanks to Betway, particularly Chad 
who, uh, who of course, you know, sorts all this out for us every week. And absolutely brilliant news for James. We're delighted for him and for the DT38 Dylan Tombides Foundation. But stay with us because we've got the opposition view ahead of that Newcastle game, West Ham, away to Newcastle, St James's Park, this Saturday at half past 12. Opposition view next. So the Betway charity bets there, Tom, the biggest win of the season so far. James bagging two grand for the DT38 Foundation. What a charity bet win that is. Biggest one of the year, like I say. But I'm delighted to say that joining us to look ahead to West Ham's next game away at St. James's Park, Saturday lunchtime, 12.30 kickoff, to let us know perhaps if our bets have got any chance of winning this week is Ketch from the Searching for Shinies podcast, also for his day job, a football editor at the Newcastle Chronicle Live. Ketch, it's brilliant to have you with us, looking ahead to the most hated owners derby. Uh, <laughs> a huge game at the weekend for both teams for completely different reasons. First of all, for you boys, a huge win against the other team, or one of the other teams in Claret and Blue in the Premier League at the weekend fantastic win it looked to me I watched uh, I, I caught a bit of the game it looked to me like you deserved it as well good to have some Maximan back of course but um yeah what what did you make of that huge win yeah massive absolutely massive uh the team Newcastle was shocking in the first half uh, <laughs> very poor um giving up chances conceded a, a sloppy goal that could have been prevented if John Joe Shelby decided to track his runner and uh Dubravka kept us in the game Dubravka uh, Paul Dummett almost scored an own goal. Dubravka's, you know, keeping out shots from his own players. So it was a real calamitous first half. And then very early on the second half, St. Maximum's introduced and the, to- the whole vibe changes. The tempo, all of a sudden we've got an outlet. He set up a um, fantastic goal for Jacob Murphy and then scored a brilliant solo effort. So that, that was a microcosm of last season. Dubravka keeping us in games and St. Maximum's brilliance keeping us out. If, we, if we'd had, if we'd had um, St. Maximum for, for most of the season, we'd probably wouldn't be in bother, but we, we probably wouldn't also be in the top half of the table either. Ketch, he seems, I know he's returning from injuries and maybe this is me not knowing the full picture, but he seems to have been used sparingly considering for me, he's, he's unreal. We, anyone would take him really in the league. He's a superb player, but he didn't play. He didn't start the other day. He's not started a few times when he has been fit. And uh, what do you make of that? Steve Bruce isn't really helping himself with that one, is he? Well, whenever, whenever St. Maximum is available, he will be involved. He had bad COVID um, for the whole of December um, mm-hmm. and then it took him ages to recover from that and then he came back and he picked up a, a little hamstring injury so you've got to treat those carefully so whenever he's half fit he's on the bench and he's mm-hmm. always introduced and in a half fit Hansen Maximum is absolutely fantastic so he is he is used an awful lot as much as as much as possible it's not he's, he's not a case of him being dropped he is probably our best player him and Callum Wilson irreplaceable mm-hmm. and without them we'd be down you know, we'd be down there with Sheffield United and, and West Brom, no no doubt. Do you think, though, Ketch, with... Because I remember watching you earlier in the season and, again, because we we've one of our podcasts earlier in the season was called We Are the London Version of Newcastle. Same sort of... I, <laughs> I think see a lot of similarities between our two clubs. We mentioned the, the hated owner derby at the beginning, but there's... The, the, it's the two biggest uh, sort of argument no what's the word the the two most teams with the most ill feeling from the fans to their owners blimey i'll get my words out one of these days but that that 
with, with our two teams, you don't see it at any other clubs. Obviously, other clubs aren't fans of their owners or whatever, but you don't see the out-and-out hatred and mass protest as well by the sheer numbers of fans who don't like the owners. Huge fan bases, both clubs, big stadiums. Obviously, one of them's got loads of character and loads of history, and the other one's called the London Stadium. But there, I see similarities in the clubs, the fan bases that are frustrated or have been until this season, but obviously West Ham have, have had a bit of an anomaly campaign. Earlier in the season, it looked okay for Newcastle. You mentioned some maximum there and you seemed like the classic mid-table team where you've got a decent-ish, an average-ish squad of players with a couple of stars. And as soon as they don't play, you go back to being average and bottom of the table stuff. Is it as bad as it as it seems? Because listening to Newcastle fans now, I'm always empathy is normally my initial reaction when I hear of Newcastle fans on the radio. Lots of people are quick to bait them and go, oh, uh, should just be lucky to be in the Premier League. Absolutely not. Couldn't disagree with that more. But what's your whole take on, on the whole situation at, at Newcastle at the moment, especially as far as the squad and Steve Bruce goes? Because it, it's just for me like, I, I, I'd never know where I sit on it, but I'm just inclined to empathise with the fans first and foremost. Well, it, it's just a it's just a catalogue of errors, a massively underperforming club for one. So don't think that Steve Bruce hasn't had money to spend. We brought in Callum Wilson. We brought in Jamal Lewis. Um, we Joe signed Linton, Ryan I for, suppose. Joe, Joe Linton for 40 million when we could have had Jared Bowen for 20 so it's just mistake after mistake after mistake. Mike Ashley completely loses interest with the club, and then all of a sudden he wants to sign Joe Linton. Why does he? Why does he want to sign Joe Linton? There's, the Rafa didn't want Joe Linton. Steve Bruce had never probably heard of Joe Linton. All of a sudden, there's forty million pounds for Joe Linton to come over, and he's terrible. He's a striker who doesn't score goals, and Steve Bruce persists with persists with him and plays with him. So he's he's got some good. He's got some good players at his disposal. He's got a, a bit a better squad, I think, than what Rafa had. Yet the the selection and the the setup is shocking. We go to Sheffield United um, and and play on the back foot. Sheffield United who hadn't won a game all season were there in January trying to soak up play and 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 and, and nick one at the end. Like what kind of a setup is that? It's <laughs> it's, it's it's shocking. And and don't you, you said, oh, you know, things seemed all right in Newcastle. It's been awful all season. The best part of the season was beating West Ham on the opening day of the season. And you think, <laughs> hello, that's a good result. And then the, the next game, we played Brighton at home. Exactly the same tactics, Andy Carroll up front. And it was absolutely awful. Graham Potter completely outthought Steve Bruce. And uh, we we immediately thought we're in for a really bad season here. And, and so it's proved it's been absolutely shocking for the quality of players he's got at the club. He's just not getting anywhere near the potential out of that team. And there's players on the bench who aren't getting a chance. Sean Longstaff, who 18 months ago was neck and neck with Declan Rice, has completely gone backwards. His brother, Matty Longstaff, Bruce begged him to stay, begged him to sign a, a two-year contract. He's not even making squads. Uh, he was in the England under-20 squad a year ago. He's not even making Newcastle squads. We've got an 18-year-old kid, local lad, Elliot Anderson, who is, you know, for what we're led to believe and people who watch Newcastle under-23, he's fantastic creative number 10. He's impressed for England under-19s and scored an unbelievable free kick in the Youth Cup on Sunday. Not even making squads yet. We've got Jeff Hendrick starting. We've got Joe Linton starting. Um, you know, we've got Joe Willock came from Arsenal and looked, you know, bright and fresh and energetic. And he started, He was on the bench against Burnley. He's, he's, he's gone completely backwards. So 
Steve Bruce is, is not getting anywhere near the potential out of this squad. And that's just on the field. Off the field, it's even worse. There's a complete disenfranchisement between the owners and our fans. The, the, the club are, um, were the last club to refund season ticket holders. Um, they, communicate, they don't communicate. They don't tell us what's going on. Um, the written press are, are not even really allowed to ask questions in Steve Bruce's yeah, saw, press conference. Craig Hope from the Daily Mail got banned recently, I think, didn't he? Yeah, Craig his... Hope's been banned for, for reporting what Steve Bruce admitted was a true story. There was a fallout between him and Matt Ritchie. Bruce admitted that. Craig Hope reported it and he's banned from it. So that tells you everything about the club. They try to, you know, they try to, you know, control everything in the media. And, and, and as soon as you start banning media, that's when you know you're, you're, you're deep in crisis. But the whole thing really is, is, is just being, is being held together by string because Mike Ashley's trying to sell the club. I think he wants out now, he, but he's, he's, he's got a problem with the, um, the group that wants to buy the club. Um, it's a Saudi, mainly Saudi Arabian backed and there's, there's questions over the ownership and piracy issues. A very messy uh, takeover deal he's trying to push through, but Bruce is convinced that is the deal for him. He's, he's got the price, 300 million. Um, so it's now being dragged through arbitration with the Premier League to, to prove who the, the new owners will be. Will it be the Saudi Arabian government or will it be the public investment fund yeah, which are yeah, trying yeah. To, to separate? It's very complicated, very messy. So, so Ashley is trying to do the trying to keep the club's head above water, keep us in the Premier League um, in the hope that you can get this deal to go through. But I think that, that could take months and possibly even years. So it's just keep the club, you know, finish 17th or above um, and, and, and Ashley's happy. But, but that's not really good enough for, for a club of Newcastle's size and potential. Ketch, do you think um, our Bruce isn't the long-term option? I think that's effectively set and everyone knows he'll be off, whether it be this summer or, or very soon anyway. And, do you think that the club as a whole needs to go back to its roots as you have always, from my point of view, grown up being a team who are fast attacking football, throw men forward, go for it. Even when you've not had the best of players, that Carroll and Nolan team in the Premier League, they just went for it. And that um, Benitez is is a way better at Bruce than doing what he does, but he's still very methodical, very simple and very tactically astute. Do you think the next manager you get in needs to be someone who's going to get fans back wanting to watch it as opposed to necessarily staying mid-table and grinding just get someone in who's going to take a bit of a risk and reconnect the fans because the last two managers I know Benitez is revered and loved and rightly so he did a good job but just maybe a move back to your to your heart and what you're all about from an outsider that's what I see yeah absolutely but but to do that you need you need to invest in the squad you need to get the players in who are going to do that I think you know I look at West Ham I, I see you as a club who mm-hmm. you, you hate your owners but they they invest in the club. They try to make the club the best it can be. The the wage bill is huge. You get big players in on big wages because you, you want to have you want to win. You want to be successful. You want to get into Europe. You're pushing for the Champions League. Prepared to, to to take a risk and pay big money to entertain the fans and 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 bring success to the club. Newcastle aren't about that. It's about you know signing Jeff Hendrick on a free transfer because <laughs> he's a good solid Premier League player. That that'll do us. You know what I mean? We we will never go in there. And, and buy big midfielders, or, or, or you know, take a punt on on Jared Bowen, who was there for, for the taking for Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Bruce wanted him, by the way. Bruce wanted him, by the way, but they didn't think he was worth the money. And but then it's it's so disjointed behind the scenes at the club. We're, we're going in for you know Joe Linton, who no one had really heard of, who done okay in the Bundesliga, forty million quid out of nowhere, and it's it's been a total disaster. So. Yeah, obviously Newcastle, traditionally, the Newcastle I do, you know, you mentioned at the start of the show, I, I present a, a podcast that's on 90s football. Why do you think I like 90s football so much? Because Newcastle were the most exciting, entertaining team 
in the land because we had a manager um, in Kevin Keegan who, you know, never used a tactics board in his life. And, and all, it was all about you're better than them. Go out and entertain these fans. They've paid good money to come and watch you. Go out and entertain them. Even if you lose today, you know, let's at least lose 4-3 and have a go. Whereas at the minute, Newcastle just aren't having a go at all. It's it's sitting back, it's soaking up pressure, it's rigidity, and it's trying to catch them on a break and hoping players like Callum Wilson and St. Maximum can can nick nick something. And that's the other thing. Our forward line on paper is amazing. Almiron, St. Maximum, Callum Wilson, but they're just completely used in the wrong way. And and uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a really tough season. I'm very jealous of, of what you boys are doing uh, yeah. down in West Ham. I think uh, I, I think it's easy. Like for obviously before this season, I think our sentiments were pretty much the same. I know what you're saying about the owners putting money in, and yeah, I do think that they do put more in than than Newcastle's for sure. But look on the pitch, catch West Ham is the first of a pretty minging run of games for Newcastle coming up. Do you obviously it's a huge win against Burnley at the weekend? Do you think you're you're safe, or do you think it's lose these next five? You know, you'll know better than me who your your run of teams is. But do you think you're you're safe with that win at the weekend, or do you think it's going to go down to a shootout with Fulham on the last day? Because you've got Sheffield United and Fulham in your last two games, aren't they? Yeah, well, that, that's what we want to avoid. Because I, I just don't fancy us at all in in that situation going head to head with with Fulham. On the last day, it's a terrifying thought to be honest with you. Going into the last day, needing to beat the opposition to stay up, I does it does feel safe now to be honest. Um, there is still a bit to go, but six points clear with a game in hand, you'd like to think we're, we're there. St. Maximum and Wilson coming back, so majority of our players to to pick from, and you know there's some there is some good players in there. Um, Willock is fantastic for, from Arsenal. We've re, we really liked him. I, I don't think he's being used correctly. The system we're using is a bit questionable. Split strikers, I've never heard of that before. We're, <laughs> you know, persisting with, you know, playing Joe Linton and, and not even touching Andy Carroll and, and Dwight Gale, who we all, you know, you, you boys know all about Andy Carroll, but he, is, he does have his moments. But Gale, certainly, I would like to think, um, could score a couple of goals. But he just, again, hasn't really been afforded a, a proper chance. So I, it does feel like we're safe. And, and the thing with Bruce is, when he's really down and back against the wall, he always seems to produce a result, whether it's a draw or a win. I mean, we've won one game in 23 and eked a few draws out and that's put distance between us and Fulham. Fulham have lost the last five, so that's really where... We're going to stay up on the virtue of being less... Least rubbish team. Yeah, least, yeah. less shit than uh, Fulham, West Ham and Sheffield United, which is, for a club like Newcastle, that's an unbelievable thing to say, really. Just quickly, Tom, I know you want to get in and ask about the game. You mentioned Carroll there. Ketch, it, it seemed like a good move at the beginning of the season. I think West Ham fans were sad to see him go, perhaps from an emotional standpoint, and enjoyed his time at the club. From a football basis, no one was worried at all to see him go. What's what's Just talk us through how that's what, how that's played out, his, uh, his time at the club, which is supposed to be this second swan song, but hasn't really turned out like that. Has he even scored for you yet? Yeah, I think so. He's done. A, he's got a couple of couple of assists, um, but hasn't had much time on the pitch um, as ever. A few injuries here and there. Yeah, but he has he has been on the bench quite a bit. I think it was an emotional signing, but also it was let's get a Geordie in the dressing room. Let's get someone who's got Premier League experience. You know, and and, and just you know remind the other players in the squad. You know what it, what it is to play for the club. And and if 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 we're going to be scrapping. You kind of you do want Andy Carroll there on the training ground and rally in the dressing room, and I think he does have a big effect off the pitch rather than rather than on it. And it was a pay as you play. 
I think he's on a on a relatively low basic wage for the Premier League, but on massive. I think he's on a massive appearance fee, which was interesting because against West Brom, he came on for about 20 seconds and didn't touch the ball. And that was a bit of an eyebrow raiser, thinking, all right, you doing your friend, keeping Andy sweet in the dressing room there with a little, a little uh, 50 grand cameo at the end of the game. So that was, that was got the fans talking, but you know, it was an emotional one. The, the interesting thing was he got, he got it. Steve Bruce extended the deal last summer. So he got an extra, it was only, he only came for a year and he got an extra year. That probably won't happen this summer. I, th- I think he'll leave. And it'll be interesting to see what he does. Will he, will he go down the divisions? Will he get a chance? Maybe he'll go abroad. But it was great for, for Andy moving back to the northeast. Um, and, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he said. But, yeah, it, it hasn't had much of an effect on the pitch. But I do think having him in the dressing room has probably helped. It's looking, looking ahead to the game, you're obviously off the back of um, a decent win, like we mentioned. And you've got St. Maximan fit and you've got Callum Wilson fit. How do you see this going do you do you fancy yourself to, it's not an upset when West Ham play Newcastle just the table says it is the season but do you fancy yourselves to to give it a right good go well I hope so I hope so but what what will probably happen is uh, we'll give you all the ball and we'll sit back and we'll try and nick something which isn't isn't what what we want to see as fans but that's you know the pragmatic defensive approach that we've adopted all season and uh, and I think I think there'll be an element of um, probably an element of fear, you know. West Ham are doing so well, amazing result again at the weekend. This, the confidence flying through that squad, and a lot of exciting um, players who are, who have got something really to grab a hold of, mm-hmm. and a huge opportunity here to achieve something massive, get the club into the Champions League, which wasn't expected at all. Whereas, you know, our our hard work feels like it's being done. There could be an element of, you know, beach towels and flip flops. I'd like to think there isn't, Please. but <laughs> it could it could creep in, but. The big thing for us is St. Maximum back with a bit of a point to prove. I think he's, you know, he's disappointed that he's missed so much of the season. And he, he did feel, he has spoken about feeling a bit guilty, you know, that he he was out with COVID and he wasn't able to help when we went through a really shocking run of, of defeats in January. Um, so he might, you know, he might might be on one to try and impress. And uh, I think he probably, he's probably, a, he seems to be quite a sensible guy. He probably realises he's in the shot window. You know, he's he's a uh, he could be a really big Champions League level player, I think. Um, so he's, he he could be making up for a long time. And Wilson as well, um, he's a great, fantastic goal scorer. The the service he's had has been negligible, but his goal his goals are fant- um, He's approaching twenty goals in that Newcastle team is amazing. Yeah. And Almiron is so consistent and and graft. So if you've got a front three like that, um, that it could be huge for us. Longstaff came back. First start for a while against Burnley, and he was he was very good. Final ball wasn't great. Shelby always plays, which annoys some Newcastle fans because his form is so up and down, mainly down. So you're probably looking at Longstaff and Shelby in the middle. Um, Willock Willock available on the bench, a quite a decent looking bench at the minute. Um, and we're we're a little bit fragile at the back at the minute with the cells out. Um, and we've got a great keeper again. I think Dubravka could play in the Champions League. I think he's really goes under the radar. He's a very underrated goalkeeper. So on paper, it's great, but We'll see what the setup's like. Um, we'd probably take a draw, um, but you know, I think the way you guys are going, I think I think you could easily come up there and get the three points based on the fact that the foot might be off the gas a little bit because they've got this six-point cushion and a game in hand. Absolutely. Well, look, Ketch, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on. Just quickly, before we let you go, uh, give us a score prediction for the game. Saturday, lunchtime, early kickoff, Newcastle v West Ham, St. James's Park. I think you'll win 3-1. <laughs> Best of luck to you. 
Excellent. I must admit, Ketch, we've had a, most people come on, all the opposition views come on this season and go, oh, yeah, I think we'll nick a win. I think we'll nick a win. Because I think in the back of their mind, they still think, oh, West Ham can't keep this going. But uh, yeah, so to be honest, after we have those, we normally go and win. So it might be a bit of reverse psychology and you might be uh, lucky. And what a double that would be for you over <laughs> us this season. But look, Ketch there from uh, Search of a Shinies podcast, also a football editor at the Newcastle Chronicle Live. It's been absolutely brilliant having you on. Thanks very much for joining us and stay with us because we've got the West Ham women's section next. So you are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh and Tom Edwards. No James Jones this week. He's on a sick day. Uh, no sick pay, of course, Tom, from the We Are West Ham podcast, is it? Very much a zero hours contract operation we're Not running yet. here yeah exactly so uh no money for jonesy for this week um west Ham women tom no game since they're outstanding and out of the blue five nil win at reading since last week the fa cup draw has taken place and the girls are at home to chichester city this sunday and chichester are two divisions below them playing the women's national league south so that's in the fourth round of the tournament. I don't want to speak too soon, mate, but you'd hope, wouldn't you? A bit of a chance for some of the fringe players to get some game time, but surely, surely that's a qualification, isn't it? Two two divisions below. And two divisions, let's remember, in women's football, it's more of a jump than two divisions in men's football would be. And then an absolutely huge game against Aston Villa at home in the WSL on Tuesday the 20th of April. Before we go on to that, mate, the, the FA Cup game, we had the mm. chat about it last week and I think I asked you, do you think it's a, a distraction or do you think that, you know, it, it might be good to boost confidence and all that sort of thing as far as the WSL and the FA Cup goes? Chichester City at home is a winnable game. What are your, what are your thoughts now that draw has been made? I think it's about as perfect as it could get. It's, it's pretty much you'd like to think they'll win that with the second team, save the players, um, save the players' legs for um, the big one against Villa and, and another win. Stay in the cup. Well, you beat we go and beat Villa, and then it's starting to look like we've got a nice little buffer still in the cup, and then the girls can have a bit more of a crack at the cup. So it's um, it's a good draw. It's a good draw. It's one as a fan you'd love it to be able to go really, wouldn't you? It's the type of uh, fixture which you. You love them, what the cup's all about. So it is a shame, but I think it's a perfect draw. And fingers crossed that they don't get too complacent. But I've sort of had a bit of an epiphany this week. If we are out of it, who cares? It's all about WSL um, and that survival. But it'll be nice for some of the girls and some of the fringe players to get out there and get some game time and maybe uh, rack up some goals. Yeah, I I think you've, you've got that spot on there, mate. I don't think there's really anything to add on top of that. I just think that's... Yeah, ideal. It's one of those where you, you're not going to have to put out perhaps your strongest team to still get through and for it to still be a success. The only thing, the risk is, is complacency, of course. Um, but look, Tom, the, the biggest thing, obviously, we will be able to cover this or we might not be able to cover it as much because we'll probably be recording the podcast next week as that game is going on against Villa. But Villa, currently bottom of the WSL, played 17 with 10 points. Bristol City, one place above them, played 19 with 11 points. West Ham in 10th place, played 17 on 12 points. 22 games in the season. 
Tom, for the girls. Still five left. You think with the table as it's poised at the moment, do you think that win against Villa guarantees safety? It would put the girls five points ahead of Aston Villa with just four games left to play. Surely that would be enough, wouldn't it? You'd like to think so. And considering Villa's form, I think that'll be however many losses on the spin. But looking at their recent form, they they have certainly lost their last five. So I think that'll put into bed. I think the confidence it'll do the girls will be a world of good. And I think they'll go on and play a bit more confidence if we get a result than anyway and pick up a few more points. And let's go five points clear of Villa. The mental blow it'll be for them and, and they'll probably probably feel like it will be done really there's there's not enough time to claw that back gap back in in the form they're in i can't see them winning two games back to back so should be but, enough and fingers mate, you, you say that though i think i especially so if, if we beat them we've obviously still got to play villa from a game earlier in the season that got postponed so we're playing villa at home twice, tuesday yeah. yeah yeah and then we're away to them on the 2nd of may aston villa have also got to play bristol city and birmingham in that time so I know. I think if yeah, but I think if they beat beat Villa, uh, West Ham, this is on on Tuesday. That's a five point gap there. Even if Villa then beat Bristol City, that's one of Bristol City's three games. They've only got three games left, of course, because they've played nineteen already. That's one of their games out of the way, and then I just can't. I just can't see like you mentioned. Bristol City have got at home to Manchester United and then away to Brighton on the last game of the season. I think it's not pretty by any means. Obviously, the win at Reading was great. But I just think that given the situation for the two teams that are beneath, I think they just about eked out enough. And especially with a win against Villa on Tuesday, that would be that would be the that would be it, I think, safety just by hook and by crook. But enough yeah. to uh, to go into next season's WSL when the, the new deal kicks in, which is all good stuff. Uh, Jilly Flaherty, Tom, has called for full-time referees in women's football um what's your what's your take on that obviously there's especially next season with this with the new WSL deal do you feel like that is something that the game should be pushing for because obviously if the standard of officiating goes up the fans enjoy it more they watch more of it it works obviously it's going to be more visible next season on sky etc etc it's one of those things that with, with women's football, a lot of these things seem to make sense. And you go, your instinct is to go, yeah, of course. Why would they not do that? Then you hear the stories about Birmingham City the last couple of weeks. Unfortunately, even those within the game are still not taking it seriously. And by that, I mean financially so. You know, everyone mm-hmm. I think within the game takes it seriously and knows how important it is in, in the sport of football and society as a whole that we're that we're seeing the encouragement and pushing and the higher platforms for for women's sport particularly women's football but unfortunately the numbers still don't lie do they and that would be the main argument no doubt about full-time professional referees you go from paying them a one-off match fee whenever they work to having to pay them a living wage of of you know 30 to 40 thousand pound a year or whatever what what's your take on it I think, yeah, that's it. I think there's basic economics, isn't it? If the money's in it, they should be getting the money. If the money's there and the WSL is earning enough and it got excess it and it's the money's being spent in areas it shouldn't be, then then the referees is a key part of the game, key part of a league's integrity, and that should be one of the first things. But it and that will probably come next year. I think with the more money and with the TV revenue, I think it's a certainty that that they have to start looking at things like that and. The, um, behind the scenes and all of that type of stuff which has been neglected 
in uh, in the last few years and throughout the history of women's football. I think they'll slowly come in and, and Ginny's made a good point and, and they deserve it. The players are professional athletes. They train day in, day out. They're highly tuned and they're at the cream of the crop. So they deserve to be playing with pro refs, per, sorry, full-time refs. And I think it's only a matter of time, but the money's not there for it right now. It it's, uh, seems like a tough argument, but very much like I think uh, with a lot of the arguments around the, the financial side of the women's game, and we're slowly starting to see the money increase and all these things and the pay of the women, the pay of the referees, these things are all start naturally increasing. And I think the WSL and the launch of it next year in, in the way it is and with globalised in it, I think we'll start to see a sharp increase in, in all the things like that. And, and I think it will come. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 10 year anniversary of the WSL this week as well, of course. And, you know, you can see the leaps and bounds of the women's game and the league itself has made in that time. For sure, you know, some of the the uh, facilities afforded to all these teams, especially at the bigger clubs, Man City, Man United, etc., etc. Man City particularly is fabulous. You know, they play at the same train at the same complex as the men's etc etc uh in in february joanna stimson it was the fa's referee manager uh said there is no plans to introduce full-time referees for at least three years jilly's hit back against that and said you know i would like she'd like to see referees become full-time a lot of the players are expected to do that whether it'll be three years or not i think you're right tom i think next year will be the WSL will be in front of a lot more eyes. There'll be a lot more people commenting on it, won't there? And Sky and all the relevant parties will look. And if if people are moaning particularly about the standard of refereeing, it's a worthwhile investment then, isn't it, to to hire um, a group of, of full-time officials. So yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Jilly also announced, Tom, that she uh, has been accepted to do her coaching badges after she retires from playing. Uh, it's one of those, it seems like a real obvious fit that she seems the type. She's a natural leader on the pitch, of course, and off it. All the girls uh, speak highly of her in the squad at the moment. It's again, not for everyone, but uh, you uh, that's one that seems to fit for me. Yeah, I think, yeah, natural. Whenever you see her play, whenever you hear interviews, the way she talks, the way she carries herself, she is that leader. She is she is that driving force. And it and it always tends to be that Ilka player who who have that burning desire to go on and stay within the game and go on to management. And uh she what a career she's had. She's she's must have taken a hell of a lot of nuggets with her WSL winner. She's she's done a lot in the game and I'm sure she'll make a great fist at it, to be honest with you. And um I'm excited to see what comes for her because what career. Mm, yeah absolutely mate yeah that's uh good stuff so good luck uh to jilly still only 29 of course so you know some time mm-hmm. time ahead of her still playing hopefully and um calling as well in that interview she did with sky sports this week for um you know a lot more games to be played in the men's stadium as well chelsea particularly she used an example selling out king's meadow uh for games against the bigger sides when fans are allowed in of course i think the interest in the game is still going to be there. It's going to be increased. The more it's on telly, the more you'll get people who've never been to a women's game before going, yeah, why don't we try that out? Uh, and I think it'll be good. And having it in the men's stadiums as well only uh, only encourages that. So good stuff for West Ham. Bit of a strange season it's been so far. That game against Aston Villa is absolutely huge. And I think if they get a win out of that, Tom, then that will be it. And that will be enough. Well, that is also nearly it for the We Are West Ham podcast this week. The James Jones-less 
We Are West Ham podcast. Feel like I've enjoyed it actually, Tom. It's been nice to have a chat, just the two of us, um, especially after another win for West Ham and the feeling that Champions League is a real reality. Uh, but stay with us because we'll have some final thoughts from me and Tom and a brief Fantasy Premier League update before we say goodbye next. <laughs> So West Ham women there, two huge games coming up. The FA Cup fourth round against Chichester City, a winnable one, hopefully, and uh, progress of the fifth round will be great to see for the girls indeed, but then that huge game against Villa at home, Tuesday the 20th of April, just such a shame that fans couldn't be in there to cheer the girls on and over the line. But Tom, uh, talking of getting things over the line, James Jones giving it large last week about his fantasy Premier League team. I'm not going to rub it in because he's not here for me to gloat to. He got 40 points last week. You got 44 and I got 75. It was a total fluke. I'll be honest. I captained a Bamiang, went a bit left field with it. Vice captain Lingard, uh, Stuart Dallas, who incredibly scored twice as Leeds uh, beat Man City away. He was my number three spot on the bench. Aubameyang doesn't start. A couple of my other starters didn't. So my captain's armband goes to Lingard, doubles his 12 points, and Dallas comes in. Incredible stuff. Um, puts me with a decent lead ahead of, of James. Now, we've got a minute left, Tom. So give me some brief thoughts before I say goodbye and do the housekeeping. Yeah, excited is the word. Looking forward to this running, but I want it. I want it to be taken seriously and think we've got a real chance now. It's in our hands. I hope the boys play like that. And Newcastle is certainly a game that I don't want to see us slip up. But loved it. Loved it with just us two again, mate. And fingers crossed we roll into another week where we're upbeat and uh, Monday doesn't look so bad after that after a good weekend of football results for us. Absolutely, mate. We look forward to welcoming James Jones back next week. Do follow us on Twitter at we are underscore West Ham. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. The link's in the description below. We're on Instagram as well. You can buy us a beer and support the podcast at buymeacoffee.com slash we are West Ham. And that is it for this week. An absolutely phenomenal win for the boys against the Foxes. It's Newcastle away this weekend, not the happiest of stomping grounds, but of course we can go up there and do it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Up the hammers and we'll see you next week. Hi, this is Tony Cotty and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. Podcast Network.